Chapter 9 of The Bat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winterout. The Bat by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Chapter 9 A Shot in the Dark. A key clicked in the terrace door. A voice swore muffledly at the rain. Dale lowered her revolver slowly. It was Richard Fleming, come to meet her here instead of down by the drive. She had telephoned him on an impulse, but now, as she looked at him in the light of her single candle, she wondered if this rather dissipated, rather foppish young man about town, in his early thirties, could possibly understand and appreciate the motives that had driven her to seek his aid. Still, it was for Jack. She clenched her teeth and resolved to go through with the plan mapped out in her mind. It might be a desperate expedient, but she had nowhere else to turn. Fleming shut the terrace door behind him and moved down from the alcove, trying to shake the rain from his coat. Did I frighten you? Oh, Mr. Fleming, yes. Dale laid her aunt's revolver down on the table. Fleming perceived her nervousness and made a gesture of apology. I'm sorry, he said. I rapped, but nobody seemed to hear me, so I used my key. You're wet through. I'm sorry, said Dale with mechanical politeness. He smiled. Oh, no. He stripped off his cap and raincoat and placed them on a chair, brushing himself off as he did so with finicky little movements of his hands. Reggie Beresford brought me over in his car, he said. He's waiting down the drive. Dale decided not to waste words in the usual commonplaces of social greeting. Mr. Fleming, I'm in dreadful trouble she said, facing him squarely, with a courageous appeal in her eyes. He made a polite movement. Oh, I say, that's too bad. She plunged on. You know the Union Bank closed today. He laughed lightly. Yes, I know it. I didn't have anything in it, or any other bank for that matter, he admitted ruefully. But I hate to see the old thing go to smash. Dale wondered which angle was best from which to present her appeal. Well, even if you haven't lost anything in this bank failure, a lot of your friends have, surely, she went on. I'll say so, said Fleming, debonairly. Beresford is sitting down the road in his Packard now writhing with pain. Dale hesitated. Fleming's lightness seemed so incorrigible that, for a moment, she was on the verge of giving her project up entirely. Then, waster or not, he's the only man who can help us she told herself, and continued. Lots of awfully poor people are going to suffer, too, she said wistfully. Fleming chuckled, dismissing the poor with a wave of his hand. Oh, well, the poor are always in trouble, he said with airy heartlessness. They specialize in suffering. He extracted a monogrammed cigarette from a thin gold case. But look here, he went on, moving closer to Dale. You didn't send for me to discuss this hypothetical poor depositor, did you? Mind if I smoke? No. He lit his cigarette and puffed at it with enjoyment while Dale paused, summoning up her courage. Finally the words came in a rush. Mr. Fleming, I'm going to say something rather brutal. Please don't mind. I'm merely desperate. You see, I happen to be engaged to the cashier, Jack Bailey. Fleming whistled. I see, and he's beat it. Dale blazed with indignation. He has not. I'm going to tell you something. 
He's here now in this house. She continued fierily, all her defenses thrown aside. My aunt thinks he's a new gardener. He is here, Mr. Fleming, because he knows he didn't take the money, and the only person who could have done it was your uncle. Dick Fleming dropped his cigarette in a convenient ashtray and crushed it out there absently, not seeming to notice whether it scorched his fingers or not. He rose and took a turn about the room, then he came back to Dale. That's a pretty strong indictment to bring against a dead man, he said slowly, seriously. It's true, Dale insisted stubbornly, giving him glance for glance. Fleming nodded. All right. He smiled, a smile that Dale didn't like. Suppose it's true. Where do I come in, he said. You don't think I know where the money is? No, admitted Dale, but I think you might help to find it. She went swiftly over to the hall door and listened tensely for an instant. Then she came back to Fleming. If anybody comes in, you've just come to get something of yours, she said in a low voice. He nodded understandingly. She dropped her voice still lower. Do you know anything about a hidden room in this house? she asked. Dick Fleming stared at her for a moment. Then he burst into laughter. A hidden room? That's rich he said, still laughing. Never heard of it. Now let me get this straight. The idea is a hidden room, and the money is in it. Is that it? Dale nodded a yes. The architect who built this house told Jack Bailey that he had built a hidden room in it, she persisted. For a moment, Dick Fleming stared at her as if he could not believe his ears. Then slowly his expression changed. Beneath the well-fed, debonair mask of the clubman about town, other lines appeared. Lines of avarice and calculation. Wolf marks, betokening the crafty and petty ruthlessness of the small soul within the gentlemanly shell. His eyes took on a shifty, uncertain stare. They no longer looked at Dale. Their gaze seemed turned inward, beholding a vision treasure, a glittering pile of gold. And yet... The change in his look was not so pronounced as to give Dale pause. She felt a vague uneasiness steal over her, true, but it would have taken a shrewd and long-experienced woman of the world to read the secret behind Fleming's eyes at first glance. And Dale, for all her courage and common sense, was a young and headstrong girl. She watched him puzzled, wondering why he made no comment on her last statement. Do you know where there are any blueprints of the house? she asked at last. An odd light glittered in Fleming's eyes for a moment. Then it vanished. He held himself in check. The casual idler again. Blueprints? He seemed to think it over. Why, there may be some. Have you looked in the old secretary in the library? My uncle used to keep all sorts of papers there, he said with apparent helpfulness. Why, don't you remember? You locked it when we took the house. So I did. Fleming took out his key ring, selected a key. Suppose you go and look, he said. Don't you think I'd better stay here? Oh, yes, said Dale, blinded to everything else by the rising hope in her heart. Oh, I can hardly thank you enough. And before he could even reply, she had taken the key and was hurrying towards the hall door. He watched her leave the room a bleak smile on his face. As soon as she had closed the door behind her, his languor dropped from him. He became a hound, a ferret, 
questing for its prey. He ran lightly over to the bookcase by the hall door. A moment's inspection, he shook his head. Perhaps the other bookcase near the French windows. No, it wasn't there. Ah, the bookcase over the fireplace. He remembered now. He made for it, hastily swept the books from the top shelf, reached groping fingers into the space behind the second row of books. There, a dusty roll of three blueprints. He unrolled them hurriedly and tried to make out the white tracings by the light of the fire. No, better take them over to the candle on the table. He peered at them hungrily in the little spot of light thrown by the candle. The first one, no, nor the second, but the third, the bottom one, good heavens! He took in the significance of the blurred white lines with greedy eyes, his lips opening in a silent exclamation of triumph. Then he pondered for an instant. The blueprint itself was an awkward size. Bulky? Good, he had it. He carefully tore a small portion from the third blueprint and was about to stuff it in the inside pocket of his dinner jacket. When Dale returned him, caught him before he had time to conceal his find. She took in the situation at once. Oh, you found it, she said in tones of rejoicing, giving him back the key to the secretary. Then, as he still made no move to transfer the scrap of blue paper to her, Please let me have it, Mr. Fleming. I know that's it. Dick Fleming's lips set in a thin line. Just a moment, he said, putting the table between them with a swift movement. Once more he stole a glance at the scrap of paper in his hand by the flickering light of the candle. Then he faced Dale boldly. Do you suppose, if that money is actually here, that I can simply turn this over to you and let you give it to Bailey, he said? Every man has its price. How do I know that Bailey's isn't a million dollars? Dale felt as if he had dashed cold water in her face. What do you mean to do with it, then, she said. Fleming turned the blueprint over in his hand. I don't know, he said. What is it you want me to do? But by now Dale's vague distrust in him had grown very definite. Aren't you going to give it to me? He brushed her off. I'll have to think about that. He looked at the blueprint again. So the missing cashier is in this house posing as a gardener, he said with a sneer in his tones. Dale's temper was rising. If you won't give it to me, there's a detective in this house, she said with a stamp of her foot. She made a movement as if to call Anderson, then, remembering Jack, turned back to Fleming. Give it to the detective and let him search, she pleaded. A detective? said Fleming, startled. What's a detective doing here? People have been trying to break in. What people? I don't know. Fleming stared out beyond Dale into the night. Then it is here, he muttered to himself. Behind his back, was it a gust of air that moved them? The double doors of the alcove swung open just a crack. Was a listener crouched behind those doors, or was it only a trick of carpentry, a gesture of chance? The mask of the clubman dropped from Fleming completely. His lips drew back from his teeth in the snarl of a predatory animal that clings to its prey at the cost of life or death. Before Dale could stop him, he picked up the discarded blueprints and threw them on the fire, retaining only the precious scrap in his hand. The roll blackened and burst into flame. He watched it, smiling. "'I'm not going to give this to any detective,' he said quietly, tapping the piece of paper in his hand. 
Dale's heart pounded sickeningly, but she kept her courage up. "'What do you mean?' she said fiercely. "'What are you going to do?' He faced her across the fireplace, his airy manner coming back to him just enough to add an additional touch of the sinister to the cold self-revelation of his words. "'Let us suppose a few things, Miss Ogden,' he said. "'Suppose my price is a million dollars. Suppose I need money very badly, and my uncle has left me a house containing that amount in cash. Suppose I choose to consider that that money is mine. Then it wouldn't be hard to suppose, would it, that I'd make a pretty sincere attempt to get away with it?' Dale summoned up all her fortitude. "'If you go out of this room with that paper, I'll scream for help,' she said defiantly. Fleming made a little mock bow of courtesy. He smiled. "'To carry on our little game of supposing,' he said easily, "'suppose there is a detective in this house, and that, if I were cornered, I should tell him where to lay his hands on Jack Bailey. Do you suppose you would scream?' Dale's hands dropped powerless at her sides. "'If only she hadn't told him, too late.' She was helpless. She could not call the detective without ruining Jack, and yet, if Fleming escaped with the money, how could Jack ever prove his innocence? Fleming watched her for an instant, smiling. Then, seeing she made no move, he darted hastily toward the double doors of the alcove, flung them open, seemed about to dash up the alcove stairs. The sight of him escaping with the only existing clue to the hidden room galvanized Dale into action. She followed him, hurriedly snatching up Miss Cornelia's revolver from the table as she did so, in a last gesture of desperation. No, no, give it to me, give it to me! And she sprang after him, clutching the revolver. He waited for her on the bottom step of the stairs, the slight smile still on his face. Panting breaths in the darkness of the alcove, a short, furious scuffle. He had wrested the revolver away from her, but in doing so, had unguarded the precious blueprint. She snatched at it desperately, tearing most of it away, leaving only a corner in his hand. He swore, tried to get it back. She jerked away. Then suddenly a bright shaft of life split the darkness of the alcove stairs like a sword. A spot of brilliance centered on Fleming's face, like the glare of a flashlight focused from above by an invisible hand. For an instant it revealed him, his features distorted with fury, about to rush down the stairs again and attack the trembling girl at their foot. A single shot rang out. For a second, the fury on Fleming's face seemed to change to a strange look of bewilderment and surprise. Then the shaft of light was extinguished as suddenly as the snuffing of a candle, and he crumbled forward to the foot of the stairs, struck, lay on his face in the darkness just inside the double doors. Dale gave a little whimpering cry of horror. Oh, no, 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 she whispered from a dry throat, automatically stuffing her portion of the precious scrap of blueprint into the bosom of her dress. She stood frozen, not daring to move, not daring even to reach down with her hand and touch the body of Fleming to see if he was dead or alive. A murmur of excited voices sounded from the hall. The door flew open. Feet stumbled through the darkness. The noise came from this room. That was Anderson's voice. Holy Virgin! That must be Lizzie. Even as Dale turned to face the assembled household, the house lights, extinguished since the storm, came on in full brilliance, 
revealing her to them, standing beside Fleming's body, with Miss Cornelia's revolver between them. She shuddered, seeing Fleming's arm flung out awkwardly by his side. No living man could lie in such a posture. "'I didn't do it! I didn't do it!' she stammered, after a tense silence that followed the sudden reillumining of the lights. Her eyes wandered from figure to figure idly, noting unimportant details. Billy was still in his white coat, and his face, impassive as ever, showed not the slightest surprise. Brooks and Anderson were likewise completely dressed, but Miss Cornelia had evidently begun to retire for the night when she had heard the shot. Her transformation was askew, and she wore a dressing gown. As for Lizzie, that worthy shivered in a gaudy wrapper adorned with incredible orange flowers, with her hair done up in curlers. Dale saw it all, and was never after to forget one single detail of it. The detective was beside her now, examining Fleming's body with a professional thoroughness. At last he rose. "'He's dead,' he said quietly. A shiver ran through the watching group. Dale felt a stifling hand constrict about her heart. There was a pause. Anderson picked up the revolver beside Fleming's body and examined it swiftly, careful not to confuse his own fingerprints with any that might already be on the polished steel. Then he looked at Dale. "'Who is he?' he said bluntly. Dale fought hysteria for some seconds before she could speak. "'Richard Fleming! Somebody shot him!' she managed to whisper at last. Anderson took a step toward her. "'What do you mean by somebody?' he said. The world to Dale turned into a crowd of threatening, accusing eyes, a multitude of shadowy voices shouting, "'Guilty! Guilty! Prove that you're innocent! You can't!' "'I don't know,' she said wildly. "'Somebody on the staircase!' "'Did you see anybody?' Anderson's voice was as passionless and cold as a bar of steel. "'No!' but there was a light from somewhere, like a pocket flash. She could not go on. She saw Fleming's face before her, furious at first, then changing to that strange look of bewildered surprise. She put her hands over her eyes to shut the vision out. Lizzie made a welcome interruption. "'I told you I saw a man go up that staircase!' she wailed, jabbing her forefinger in the direction of the alcove stairs. Miss Cornelia now recovered from the first shock of the discovery, supported her gallantly. That's the only explanation, Mr. Anderson, she said decidedly. The detective looked at the stairs, at the terrace door. His eyes made a circuit of the room and came back to Fleming's body. I've been all over the house, he said. There's nobody there. A pause followed. Dale found herself helplessly looking toward her lover for comfort, comfort he could not give, without revealing his own secret. Eerily, through the tense silence, a sudden tinkling sounded, the sharp, persistent ringing of a telephone bell. Miss Cornelia rose to answer it automatically. The house phone, she said. Then she stopped. But we're all here. They looked at each other aghast. It was true. And yet, somehow, somewhere, one of the other phones on the circuit was calling the living room. Miss Cornelia summoned every ounce of inherited Van Gorder pride she possessed and went to the phone. She took off the receiver. The ringing stopped. 
Hello? Hello? she said, while the others stood rigid, listening. Then she gasped. An expression of wondering horror came over her face. End of chapter 9 Recording by Alan Winterout BoomCoach.blogspot.com